to Riverdale After Dark, a podcast about the CW's Riverdale. It's giving you a little slip and a little peek and a little you-know-what. I'm Alex. When you're dwelling in the darkness, a great way to keep sane is to slip on a little pair of silk underwear like I did right before we started recording. I'm comfortable. I'm Justin. <laughs> I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about Riverdale Season 7, Episode 6, Chapter 123, Peep Show. So, brief bit of a recap before we get into the episode. The whole gang is back in the 1950s. Yeah. Betty is crushing on Archie. Archie had, over the past couple of episodes, struck up a relationship with Cheryl. It was a fake relationship that Cheryl was using to protect her heart from her burgeoning feelings for Tony Topaz that mm. broke up. But as a side effect, uncle Frank is back in town and laying down the law on Archie. We should also <sighs> mention another blossom kid who is Julian blossom who really seems to have it out for Archie in particular. And Archie's dad in a really messed up way. Yeah. In a yeah. previous episode. Multiple. Oh. Oh. He's the not nice redhead. I have the a theory about nice that one. that we should talk about later. But uh, Julian definitely hates Archie. And Cheryl, meanwhile, like we mentioned, is didn't profess her feelings for Tony, but certainly professed she had Show feelings me. towards Show women me. potentially. So Show Tony me. gave her Show a me. book to read. It was, of course, the Bible to uh, yeah. batten down her address. Because down. No I think thanks. it was the opposite. Opposite of the no Bible. Thanks. Yes, it was the the cost of pepper. I believe the name is the book. Yeah, and it's a book that she was given to be like, hey, if you see anything about these hey, ladies you, uh, that you like, you uh, into this. Uh, if you yeah, like this yeah. book, uh, I love flirting and, with a good book. There's nothing oh, wrong. It's like a very sexual library situation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only problem is when things go a little further, the paper cuts. No good. Yeah. Jughead, oh, meanwhile, I have what, questions. What? Uh, no, no I'm not. She's not giving up. We have to keep going. To, uh, um, yeah. Anyway, you can't uh, say stupid stuff and then. Uh, <laughs> oh, what? You want to react? Oh, too bad. I'm still doing the recap. Yeah. No. No time. Last but not least, <laughs> Jughead Jones has been writing Ooh. for Pep Comics, which is the progenitor of Archie Comics in the real world, and writing some horror stories for them. He got his own byline, which led to his breakup with Veronica, which doesn't really play into this episode, other than to mention Veronica is single. And there's probably a couple of other things we need to mention, but that's pretty much all you need to know to go into this episode. Yeah, this episode was sort of like its own little pocket. And I know, you, Pete, you hate this term, but this is definitely much, except for maybe the last five minutes, very much a middle-feeling episode. It's setting oh. some stuff up. It's moving some stuff around. It's giving us a little peep, a little peep show of the future. Mm-hmm. Can I can I mention something up front? Here we go. Then I'll Here we go. It, is uh, to the middling thing, Choni uh, aside, which, great, uh, we could just so, jump I mean, right to on. like, the Chody's together, Chody perfect, Chody endgame. We could probably on. stop watching the show at this Chody. point, just like put a wrap on it, we're good to go. 
Yeah. This is my least favorite episode of the season. And I, uh, and, why I say stuff it like was, that? It was. It was my least favorite episode of the season, which, mind you, I like Riverdale, and we've talked about Nobody 23 asked. episodes of Riverdale, so fine. Yeah. This was the most Riverdale-structured episode we've seen this season so far, it, with three different storylines that basically don't cross So off. the reason you don't like this because it's the most like Riverdale and that bothers you. Well, we've expressed well, frustration. You're probably going to say the same thing. Go ahead, Justin. Well, I wasn't, because I, I wasn't frustrated. I actually, you know, this was a, the last moment of this episode was really great, I thought. And the la- mm-hmm. that whole last scene was like satisfied so much of like Come on, Lashoni. Come on, stop underplaying Lashoni. Stop I'm not it. underplaying it. But Seems the, like the sh- both of you are right now. I, I'm not, and I loved the the slow mo kiss, and I like I love that storyline. But the Shoney stuff felt and like the song that came up where it almost sounded like the song was singing Shoney. It was like saying like show me or show something, me, but it sounded, me, but it sounded show, like Shoney just as they were slowly yeah. coming together. I mean, come on! I believe I have the lyrics here. It said Shoney show pass Pete, Shoney show pass Alex. I think it was that and, song from Trolls, right? The one that goes Shoney, Shoney, what you're working with, right? Oh wow. Yeah. Wow! Did you say from trolls? <laughs> don't worry about it. That's so that's, not a, that's no. not a source of music. Time. I got to get through the rest of the recap. You're like Let's this keep going. old no. tween. I don't know <laughs> no, who, no, how you fine. work. It doesn't. I don't make sh- sense. Show me, show me how I'm working. Oh you're the God. most Hans moment with a skateboard I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what I would say, and I, I'm not downplaying it, but to your point, Alex, even the Shoney stuff, it felt like we knew where they were at the beginning of the episode and then they kissed. But it's not like there weren't a ton of surprises. I think oh. we were all happy they did it. I'm not being this is I'm just talking about it. There's no no uh, controversy. Do here. you just like to walk up to parades and be like, hey, are you having fun? Let me just piss all over this. Ah, You having a good time, yeah. kid? Let me ruin your fun. Ah, man, it's so hard. We've been to, waiting uh, for a Shoney moment, and it happens. You guys are like, worst episode I, ever. That's, let, that's not let what I'm saying. Let us have a little fun here. I like this episode, but I think and what Alex is saying is it felt it, dramatically, it was just like, here's what we're going to do, and then we did it. And that's, again, that's, that's why fine. I thought the Barchi story really popped a lot at the end, because oh. it was like wildly, like it pressed on the their relationship in a way that I thought was like, super 1950s it was like like the that sexual explosion that you when you're a teenager like it really played that in a way that i thought really worked and it's i love this episode i thought this episode was good it's just it moved very meticulously forward and riverdale usually surprises us more I would say. Uh, to jump off of that, and then we can move on to the actual content of the episode. Again, I like this stuff. I'm so happy that Shoni is together. I enjoyed the Barchi stuff throughout. Um, I enjoyed the individual pieces of the storyline. I thought it, there was even some interesting stuff going on in the Frank and Archie storyline as well. But yeah. we've had through the previous five episodes here, this interesting mix of characters where it felt like a, this is going to come out horribly and Pete's going to yell at me like a fully functioning show for the first time in a really long time. Oh my God. Well, we had all like the superhero team ups <laughs> at the la- end of the last season, yeah, fully but functioning. the fact that we, it wasn't like what 
we have three storylines that barely cross. Like Archie mm. shows up in the Betty and Veronica thing towards the end and in his window sometimes. But otherwise, he, that doesn't seem to have too much of a relationship with what's going on with him and Frank. That's its own train. That's what Riverdale has been for most of its run. And we've talked about that ad nauseum on the podcast, that it's like watching a bunch of different shows at the same time. We haven't gotten that for the first five episodes. It's felt fresh. It's felt exciting. Here, I was like... Oh, okay. I I like Riverdale. This is good. But this felt like a little bit of a step backwards to me. Well, wow. and I think maybe a better wow. way of saying it, and especially for you, Pete, it's like we've just um, had on like rollerblades with rockets on them, done loop-de-loops, blasted off, gone through a, a fi- flaming hula hoop, landed, and then we're like, all right, now I'm just going to rollerblade for a while. And it's like, I love rollerblading. But it's different now because we just did the crazy thing, the crazy rocket skate thing. So it's just we're back to a more normal. I'm a I'm a big rollerblader, right? You know that, right, guys? <laughs> Me, <good>. jean shorts. <laughs> wow, uh, everybody's old. I get it. I get it, guys. We don't have to. We don't have to remind everybody constantly how old we are. It's cool. Pete, uh, we should mention, actually, off the podcast, whatever we need to explain any hard concept to Pete, we always use rollerblading as a metaphor. That's yeah. what I think. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't know why I chose rollerblading, but that is the first thing that came in my head. The funny thing to me is not that you chose rollerblading. The funny thing to me is like, Pete, let me explain it to you in a way you'll understand. <laughs> well, Pete gets it. They're like yeah. shoes, but there are wheels on the bottom. Yeah, they're not wheelies. They're, they're lined up. It's That's a, what I'm saying. They're line. lined because it's harder that way. <laughs> Sure is. All right. Uh, why don't yes, Pete? I'm surprised we've gone this long and didn't talk about your favorite thing is when they do some weird word play with uh, you know, kind of famous things like, you know, we get the Ray Bradbury uh kind Brad of Brad Rayberry. I've yeah, got a whole the, thing to say about Brad okay, Rayberry. Yeah, I was gonna say Should I take it away? Uh, why yeah. don't we start with the Jughead storyline since that's the most straightforward one. So to give a broad overview of it, Jughead discovers that Pep Comics has been plagiarizing an author, a sci-fi author named Brad Rayberry, and he tells Pep Comics, and they're like, eh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. We you probably it. didn't rip you it off. they did there? Yeah. He yeah. talks to Brad Rayberry. Brad Rayberry ultimately shuts the door on him and then demands some money. Jughead ultimately works it out for him financially. In a very interesting way, given the current situation with the writer's strike. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, wow, this is so timely. Yeah, Mm that this came out the week that the WGA went on strike, which as we maybe we could speculate later on about how that might affect um, our Riverdale production schedule. I mean, we can mention that right now, just real quick. The answer is not necessarily too much uh, on the surface. Yeah. And the reason for that is as we're taping this, I don't know how far they're in, but they're definitely, they're filming the last four episodes of the show ever, right? They have, they had seven weeks to so go. So is your point, it's already week. written? Is that why you're saying it? Hold on, hold on. Stop Pete. milking it and just tell I'm us what you I'm not milking it. I'm laying out the information because Jesus people are confused Christ. about how this works. This just tell milking. us what we want to know, man. You're fucking <laughs> getting into the whole thing. You should- that's what news is. Yeah, that's Jesus, I'm, I'm describing just, the situation because here's the is thing. Is it written or not written? It's not that hard of a... Here, let no, me explain it is it. that hard. It let me explain it to you in a way you'll understand, Pete. So <laughs> the, it's like yeah. each episode is an, a wheel on a rollerblade. Right, right. <laughs> they're all if you take there. one wheel out, you can still blade. You can still yeah. blade. It's going to be bumpy. It's not going to be... Ted, who wrote this episode... 
posted on Instagram, I believe it was back on April 18th, he said, this is a particularly emotional day for me because we, right now, on set, I'm writing the last words in the last episode of Riverdale. So I don't know if he gets a co-writing credit with Roberto Aguirre-Scasa or if he wrote the whole episode himself or whatever, he's writing that stuff. What they have been doing in Hollywood for the past, not just a couple of weeks, but a couple of months, is double-timing to get as many scripts and aspects of scripts done for anything that would be post-writer strike. So it seems pretty clear, based on what he was saying, that they have those last four scripts done. However, I do want to turn it over to Justin, though, to weigh in, because he certainly, from working on production, knows more about this part. Once a writer has turned to the scripts, that's not it by any means, and this is a large part of what the writers are fighting about. Because then line producers do rewrites. No, no, let's actually be specific about this, because there's a lot of listeners who I'm sure are very confused about the writer's strike. Because sometimes PAs are like, I got great ideas for lines. Where do I start? That's definitely not what happens. I don't know how many lines you were pitching as a PA, but uh, I don't know if a ton of them went made it into the final product. Uh, so the WGA is on strike. So that means writers full pencils down. You cannot write at all. That's the whole point. Try to get uh, better wages and everything. And then all the list of um, at, uh, needs that need to be met. Uh, but so to, to do that, that means there's no more writing. Even if the scripts are done, there's a lot more writing that goes into the final product. There's rewrites. There's um, rewriting on set a lot. Uh, that's another thing the WGA is fighting for is to get more writers on set so the end product can be better uh, down the line. And, you know, once a script is done in, in this situation, it cannot be changed or that's considered crossing the picket line. Uh, so that will make it it's in another announcement that happened uh, was that they're going to move forward with all of um, the uh, Game of Thrones spinoff House of Dragon without any and they haven't filmed any of that. So yet. what you're There's saying no is it, it really depends on how the uh, that particular TV show works, because some strict very much to the word once it's written they want the actors to memorize those lines others let them do a take for the actor well but it's it's less that because it's more like something changes or it's like oh you know what this prop doesn't quite match here um we need to rewrite this scene a little bit like it's it's a like change in production is like hundreds of people coming together to make something. So it's not all going to go as the script says. Well, and and to to throw something else additional, I was talking to a director friend before uh, the strike started and she was saying she, she had two days left on Hold on. I'm not going to stop it. (laughs) Two days left on her set. And the showrunner was basically spending all day, not sleeping, writing, not just the lines for the script, but options, ADR lines, things. If something goes wrong, they could sub, but a joke that they could do something different because sometimes like there's noise and you just can't get the shot and you have to do something and you're not allowed to do that at this point. So to wrap it back to Riverdale, are all four scripts done? Yes, probably based on what Ted said. However, we know from doing multiple interviews with folks uh, who are involved in Riverdale, they do stuff until like the very last second on the show. Like we've heard stories and nobody's mad about it, but we've heard stories where it's like Friday and they don't know exactly what's happening. And Friday night, they're like, hey, we got to do this entirely different set and entirely different thing that we're working out with the scene. And the amazing folks at Riverdale do it over the course of the weekend. They're ready to do it for Monday. That stuff can't happen now. Like whatever the script yeah. is, the script is. So that could be a fine thing, I guess. But it definitely... To be frank, sets up my alarm bells a little bit with a show like Riverdale. Well, and I will say one sort of safety valve that Riverdale may have is if Roberto's directing the last episode or the last couple of episodes, which I, I guess we don't know that. I don't but think the, so. Has he ever directed before? 
I thought he's directed a couple of them. No, now. he's written a bunch. Oh. Well, yes, no, I know that, but uh, okay, well then, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> if he was directing, though, he'd be able to tweak and change things to shape it. To you can you can sort of give actors notes that would change it and sort of uh, affect the way it's performed. That you you could consider like bending the, the what's mm. scripted there without it being a violation of the right. And the presumably, shape. like we were saying with these other productions, Roberto and the rest of the staff have probably given them a bunch of different options and prep stuff. Hopefully, in advance. That's what most showrunners have been doing because they're not allowed to intervene in any way. Um, and it's a very collaborative set. So like you're saying, they can't change the words, but they can change the way they're doing it. So we'll see. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, that all said, back to the show itself. Very interesting parallel here in terms of this storyline, the couple of things that I was going to lay out. So, uh, oh, just to wrap up the recap of it, Jughead ultimately steals a novel from Brad Rayberry's house, tells him it's great. And Brad Rayberry is like, Dick what move. are you talking about? Leave me alone, you crazy person. Obviously, we're not done with that. And then he also, threw his little cup. Yeah. And then Dr. Werther's, who is school psychologist? Got it. We really got to settle this at some point. Uh, well, they haven't, I haven't heard them school say School villain, it. it seems like. School villain, yes. Every school has what villain they hire. Oh, yeah. Payroll. Yeah. He finds out that Jughead has been writing comics and is going to clearly crack down on him. So. Uh, what did you guys think about the storyline as a whole? What were your big takeaways? And then I have some historical stuff. Throughout. Ooh, nice. It was well, a little I, bit like all over the place. Like I felt like the I couldn't quite get a grip on if is Jughead friends with Brad or is it because he was like, what are you doing? I don't like you. I love you. Come hang out with me. I hate you again. Smash. <laughs> and like it was a little bit. You, back can't and steal forth from, you can't steal from people. That's not cool. hundred percent. But again, this felt like more like it was setting up something that we'll see in a later episode of how. Jughead tracking down another writer that he loves and having a somewhat fraught relationship with them. I mean, I, I just want to hear all the, you know, because as soon as I heard the Rayberry, I was just like, oh, Zalvin's Zalvin's in heaven right now. This is going to be, he's going to, he's going to love this. Uh, well, it was definitely fun for people who don't know, since we haven't actually said it. Ray Bradbury is a science fiction author who is incredibly famous and written a yeah. ton of stuff. The actor on the show, by the way, because it was bothering me the entire time, is a guy named Christopher Shire. And he's one of those has been in literally everything yes. type actors. I was 100%. like, I know that guy. I don't know where. How from. do I know that guy? Where is he from? Guy? But here's the funniest fact about him that I'll mention that I found out. His first ever TV role in 1997, was on a show called Riverdale, which I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but there is a Canadian show that ran for a very long time called Riverdale that has nothing to do with Archie comics. It was just like a soap opera set in a neighborhood, I believe, in Canada. And even Wilder, the character he Canada? played... Uh, yeah, there's a Riverdale Canada. Uh, the character he played is named Ben McKenzie. Like oh, the actor wow. from Gotham and other things. So, <laughs> very strange. Commissioner uh, so that, Gordon? Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. But the actual historical thing, and this is something that I'll say that Riverdale, we've talked about this before, has been doing really well across the season, is referencing real historical fact. And here, the real-life Ray Bradbury actually had his stories. I believe it was two stories stolen by EC Comics' Al Feldstein, 
who is the inspiration mm. for Al Fieldstone, who is the editor of Pep Comics of the show. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, Al Feldstein, just a little note, went on to run Mad Magazine from 1956 to 1985. So like iconic yeah. figure in the wow. field of comedy magazine publishing, I guess. So what happened wow. was Al Feldstein said, oh, well, if we take two of his stories and then write one story out of that, that's not theft because we're creating something new. <laughs> and he actually gave it to Wally Wood, who is also like an iconic uh, comic book creator of the time. Ray Bradbury found out about it. I wrote this down. I thought this was so great. There's a blog called ozandends.blogspot.com that reprinted this, so I want to give them a shout out. But this is the letter that Ray Bradbury sent to Al Feldstein. Just, or not, just a note to remind you of an oversight. You have not, as of yet, sent on the check for $50 to cover the use of secondary rights on my two stories, The Rocket Man and Kaleidoscope, which appeared in your weird fantasy May-June 52, number 13, with the cover-all title of Home to Stay. I feel this was probably overlooked in the general confusion of office work, and look forward to your payment in the near future. My very best wishes to you. Yours cordially, Ray Bradbury. Get him, Ray. Baller. Get him. Baller. And then what this actually led to is is he they ended up giving him the fifty dollars and then actually hiring Ray Bradbury to write and adapt a bunch of works for EC Comics, which are considered iconic works of comic fiction. So and then they copied wow. that idea in Riverdale. I mean, come on! I mean, when mm-hmm. is, this poor guy is never going to get a break. <laughs> wow! <laughs> yeah. Brad, Brad Rayberry, I'm starting to think it's a ripoff of Ray Bradbury. What? Oh my God, dude. This guy's going to have to write another letter and then another coffee cup is going to get ruined. One big thing we should talk about, though, from this storyline is we got, we didn't get a name mentioned, but we found out what's going on with FP. We found out that he was on yeah. the run for the law and went to Toledo. My phallus said started tingling as soon as I heard that because I was like, oh, now we know where FP is. He's just got to work his way back home. He's back on the radar. I'm telling you, the end of this season will feature an F Palace Alice or an FP and Alice F Palace jump on the motorcycle right off into the sunset. Oh my God. You've been calling that for years. That's your F Palace alarm is going off. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Sweet. Uh, Well, cool. Anything else uh, we want to say about this storyline before we move on to any of the others? I thought. uh, I, I was really happy with Jughead right up until he stole the script, and then I was super pissed about it. Yeah. Uh, he's like, this guy who's like, oh, this is what's right. You got to do this. This is, And then he's like, oh, I, it's messed up that they stole from my hero. Oh, real quick, while he's not looking, I'm going to steal from my hero. What are you doing, guy? This definitely yeah. felt like three different plot lines, like you were saying, Justin, in the same episode, just getting Jughead from one place to another in terms of his career. Uh, yeah, and we're really just setting up him being the target of the school uh, hating comics, uh, right? Yeah. And we're just moved one step closer to that. So I'm curious. That feels like the, where the power of the story is, and we'll get there when we get there. I do like the idea of it like, oh, man, I've made it. I finally have my name on a comic book. And then someone like hands it to the evil villain principal. Look who's making comic books. You know, I thought that was like a yeah. fun it's like that scene in The Jerk, the Steve Martin movie, uh, when he's like, look, I finally made it. I'm in the telephone book. And then it cuts right to a guy like, 
Maven R. Johnson, <laughs> a regular guy. I'll kill you. <laughs> Let's move over and talk about Shodi. We've already talked about this a little bit, but this is a huge, huge, huge. episode for Cheryl and Tony yeah. with some great big scenes. I know I was a little dismissive of the episode of the whole, but I want to emphasize again, Shoni Endgame is confirmed. Yeah. Shoni Endgame in the bag as of this episode. I also yeah. really loved how like almost every time Cheryl sees Tony, she like hears music and it goes all kind of like it's it's adorable and magical and it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, music doing a lot in this episode. There's a lot of um, Shoni romance music. And then like mm-hmm. as soon as um, Veronica and Betty are talking about sexy lingerie at Trumpet's like. On that note, we've had a bunch of non of the era music in this episode, particularly. Yes. What do you think about that? I didn't. I prefer the era music, and it's it was the first two songs in the episode. Uh, and there was like Be- Betty watching Archie, which I thought was cool, and then I think another one with um, Shoni, the the two the darn hot, which felt yeah. like it was sort of an old song, but it was d- definitely like a modern version of it. I think it, it's funnier and more satisfying to me when it's the the period music that they're using in this very Riverdale yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about the Shoney storyline. In overview, Cheryl picks up on the book, brings it back to Tony. It's like, no, I, I didn't really get anything from that. I don't know what you're talking about necessarily. About, yeah. Clearly still denying her feelings here. Uh, Tony, to really push her, ends up auditioning for the cheerleading squad. We get That was just, what a great entrance. I mean, come yeah, on. Strong. And, and then it. see Cheryl just like light up. The fact that she's there was just. It's too darn hot. Yeah, that was great. I also love the visual shout out to the poetry performance a couple of episodes back with having the same sort of everything darkening and focusing Spotlight. down on Cheryl yeah. as she stares at yeah. Tony. I, th- I love that. Uh, Tony clearly bewitching her with her bewitching cheerleading dance. And we get a return in this episode of Evelyn Evernever, now a regular teen instead of an adult married to her dad, missing most of her kidneys. So big upgrade for the character. <laughs> most of her kidneys. Yeah, unfortunately. She gets, oh, oh, wait, she was she missing most of her kidneys or was she stuffed with too many kidneys? I think she had a I bunch of them, right? feel like extra, yeah. Yeah, too he was getting kidneys. all those organs, the stuff inside of her. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, the, um, the yeah, I was the Evelyn Evernever, because, you know, obviously we're like villain. And she's just being used here as like a villain, but not like a, a villain carrying out a larger plan, at least not yet. Very much, I think she represents the sort of repressive nature of the 1950s world here. And I thought it gave Cheryl something to sort of take power. There's sort of very much two speeds for Cheryl this episode, which I thought was great. Her being like, no, this is what we're doing, or like River Vixens, let's go. And then it was the very like, Shy, just like, I don't know what I'm I'm feeling, and I like this, and I'm going to try to say it right here, right now to you, Tony. And I thought that that's the best use of the duality of Cheryl that I think we've seen in a while. Yeah, I didn't. I liked seeing Evelyn Evernever again. I thought that was fun. Zoe de Grand Maison, who yeah. plays her, is great. I like this mode for her. I also think just... In a world perspective, it's nice that they're finding places to bring all of these people back for this season. Yeah. You know, even Agreed. even if it doesn't match up character wise, this is an actress who lives and works in Vancouver, knows the cast, and to making sure making sure she has a place here, I thought was very nice. And, and Zoe de Grand Maison, Zoe yeah. de Grand Maison translate to Zoe of the Big House. 
Ah, there you go. So she's uh, going to fucking jail. <laughs> I also want to give, preview. Yeah. give a shout out to Tony here. I mean, uh, you know, even though, you know, Cheryl is completely gaga over Tony, she's still like the pom-pom work was just unbelievable. Are you talking about the paper shakers? Yeah, the paper shakers. You're correct, yes. You little paper shaker. That felt, It felt like something that was a compliment, but also maybe an insult. Mm-hmm. Hard to know. So we had that whole cheerleader display and that, uh, like we were kind of getting at, Evelyn says she's very uncomfortable with having Tony on the team because she's a lezzy, and Cheryl shuts her down. And that's the thing that I think pushes Cheryl forward. She's defending Tony, uh, first and foremost. And secondly, she's like, you know what? If I feel this strongly about Evelyn trying to shut down Tony, I need to start accepting and owning this feeling that is in Masai myself. And we get this great scene where, well, we get several great scenes in a row where first Tony very gently prods Cheryl into being like, come on, tell me what you're feeling. And she's like, I think I, I, I'm paraphrasing the line, but like, I think I like girls. No, I do like girls. I like you. And then Tony's answer is saying, finally, the way that she says it was so I, great. I thought great. they were going to kiss right then. They didn't. I'm kind of glad they didn't. I'm glad they held off. Then we get that great scene in the dark room where they're talking about their past history. And we get some big changes here. First of all, in this continuity, Cheryl has an Aunt Carol. Shout out to Carol from the movie Carol. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think um, that is the reference there. That's not yes. a, uh, casual. Well, also, because I think we mentioned this, but the cost of pepper is a shout out to the price of salt, which is the yeah. basis for the movie Carol. So it's all tying together there. Uh, but we get that. And then also for the first time in the history of the show, we hear about Tony's parents <laughs> in season yeah. seven and find yeah. out that they kicked her out for snogging another girl and that she ended up living with her grandparents. So we get that beautiful little handheld moment. And then the last thing is after uh, Evelyn gets shut down once again and Cheryl puts Tony on the cheer squad, they end up smooching in the locker room and in a beautiful, kiss. beautiful scene. Well, and I love it that they're playing this story like the classic like high school love story from like a million movies and everything. And I, I think that's that's great to have them be the first couple that sort of comes through in this season of Riverdale. And you get to really see because I think while uh, like Clavin sort of got together first, they've been off camera weirdly for the last few episodes. And they get a reference in this in this episode in the story. But like. They're like Shoney's. They're really the first couple that has come together, and now we get to really ride with them, which I think is great. I also really liked how Tony knew how to play Cheryl a little bit. You know what I mean? Where she was like, "You know what? Yeah. I'm getting off this train. I'm I'm tired of this." And then, and then finally, really, we're getting somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Smart move. Agreed. I also agree that it was a smart move. Uh, why don't we talk about the third storyline, though, which is Betty. Frank's mustache. Frank's <laughs> mustache. I'll tell you what. I saw a lot of hate for Frank online during the episode. And obviously, he's supposed to be a hateable character. But I kind yeah. of love how it's Ryan Robbins, right, is the name of the actor. I kind of love how he's playing him a little differently, like a little griffer. He's doing his little clenched jaw thing. I think it's fun. Yeah. Well, and he's playing it in a very much like uh, like hard hard edge. Like there's no questioning him. I feel like Frank in the past yeah. has been like, you know, you 
you sort of like there's a way around him. And in this episode, Archie's just like, ugh, okay. He just has to do it. And then he comes through at the at the end, and we can talk about that. Well, and I, you know, it seems like he reaches a reckoning where he's like, I am gonna do basketball. I'm glad I got past this. Yeah, I think there is this thing where Frank is initially called in to be the muscle, right? Like the mom is like, Hey, Archie needs a needs a little kind of like man in his life to push him or whatever. So Frank comes in hot, comes in like a real douchebag. And, uh, you know, I have, I've written down a couple of times like, yo, ease off, Frank. Like, you're killing me right now. Well, I will say Frank's, uh, whatever he's trying to do with Archie, I don't know that it makes sense uh, necessarily. I mean, maybe it does. Maybe you guys could offer it up. But he's in there to be – he shows up at the end of the last episode. He's like, you're out of control, kid. I'm going to knock some heads. In this episode, he's basically like, I'm going to teach you some lessons by making the water, by, water boy on the football team. And I'm going to take your car. Basketball. And also, you're going to get a job pumping gas. And you're going to do this other thing. And, and I was like, oh, my God, this is too many jobs. <laughs> Stop giving him all these jobs. Too many jobs for Archie, who famously, his whole thing is juggling jobs. Right. Uh, but I agree. Like, he was like, you need to do better in school. If you can squeeze it in between the <laughs> nine other things that you have to do. <laughs> Uh, which so, I guess I, I don't know. I mean, it, it seemed a little unfocused in terms it of. It seemed like, like Archie needed a reason to say no to Betty when she was like, "Hey, let's go to the movies." Well, I, I, it feels like it's a little bit about reckoning Archie and his dad because I think that's where the Julian thing comes in, where he's being the a dick. dad moment. Anytime Archie starts talking about his dad, it gets me, and they do a great yeah. job of in the show, kind of revisiting that every once in a while in a different way. Well, and the, I, it shows that Archie's just had a raw nerve about it, and he finally makes a choice here to be like, you know what, I'm going to actually reckon with this idea and do a thing that I love to do with my dad. Uh, here's my theory. I got Drain threes. I don't think yeah. this forgives anything that Julian has done at this point, but this is the second time we've seen Julian gun directly and say something absolutely awful about Archie's dad. I think it's going to come out that Julian has very specific issues with his father and his father's yeah. lack of interest in him, and that's yeah. why he's going for Archie so hard. Again, doesn't forgive what he's doing, but I do think we're going to get a emotional explanation there eventually. Yeah. Uh, redhead on redhead dad convo. Absolutely. And then ultimately, by the end of the episode, he does sign up for the basketball team in honor of Fred. And that's very sweet and honorable. There you go. Yeah. And he's uh, like Pete said, he's just like uh, Steph Curry on the yeah, outside. That's right. He's, he's just in. like, yo, I, all I do is rain threes. I don't even practice, dude. I just mop up yeah. and look at the balls. I don't need to practice. <laughs> Yeah. He's just it's all about the eyes. A lot of basketball players don't ever dribble, touch the yeah. ball at all. It's yeah, just all exactly. about doing it with your eyes. It's chess, it's mental chess. Wow, that's great. I don't know anything about basketball, but I appreciate it and understand what you guys are saying. Let's move on to the last storyline, which is Betty and Veronica. Betty yes. is not sexy enough, or she is actually very sexy, but she doesn't even know it. Well, nice. Uh, what I was going to say is, like, I really like this line that um, Veronica had. Uh, you don't have to have sex to be sexy. And I think that's maybe sort of the idea here across the board. And it's a, just a great Betty and Veronica uh, plot, you know? It's good. Does it? I know I'm being very picky here. Does this match up at all with where Betty has been the past couple of episodes where she's been discovering herself sexually, ultimately trying to coerce Kevin into having sex with her until she found out he was gay? <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it feels like there was a regression here a little bit on her part. Oh, interesting. No, I, I feel like she's sort of got to the point where she's like, I can't figure this out on my own. I need to talk to somebody. Let me go to Veronica, the person who seems to understand sex. And she hasn't had sex, as she says in the beginning of the episode. But she does understand, like sexuality or being sexy in a way that I think Betty needed to hear. So I, I think it was just she found a different avenue to put her like very worked up feelings. Here's what I'll throw out there. I think the big takeaway from this episode is Veronica Endgame, right? That's where we need <laughs> to end up. Betty and Veronica and just wrap it up and go home. Well, but I, and I see why you say that because of that first scene they were talking about, like you're sexy in like yep. – in that that conversation but like that to me wasn't like a big flirtation that to me was like you know what let's talk about this i see a need in you betty that you need to talk about this before you literally explode and veronica also being honest with her sort of budding friend here to be like hey i I actually haven't ever had sex with anyone but i understand it more for myself and in other men as she like she's like let's go find some what did she call them fun boys or yeah some <laughs> rando uh, good time dudes. boys yeah good time and she's I, like let's I, just go out with these guys it'll make us feel better and like she's just in command of it in the same way that tony's in command of her feelings uh towards cheryl veronica is sort of that for herself i feel like the i love the their friendship and it was this really great moment where betty was like hey i'm kind of having a hard time and veronica was like gave this great advice of like it starts with how you feel inside and things that make you feel a certain way or whatever and i think that was a great gift to give her and i think you know it was a it was fun and also the what in and Kind of like the two of them getting busted uh, by Archie was a was a fun moment. This oh my god, I'm a teen. What am I doing? And then like Archie closes the curtain. It was hilarious. Yeah. And uh, also, but uh, I think it did a great job of kind of capturing that. And I also like the build up to the Peep Show where you're looking at the clock and then you're. Well, you know what I mean, that was fun. Well, and I will say when Archie closed the curtain, he did put his OnlyFans up in the window, so he was like just <laughs> trying to make a buck. On it. <laughs> Um, but to, to your point, Peter, I, I do like this friendship, even though like Veronica has feelings for Archie. And I think we see it a little bit in uh, the performance here that yeah. she's and then later, later obviously, she's like, yeah, I'm going to get a peep. Let me get a little peep there. Let me be a peeping patty. Uh, but like so that's an interesting dynamic at play here. But for the most of the episode, Veronica is being 100 percent a supportive friend. She says, I'm a gorgeous, powerful, sexy siren at the height of her powers and may God yeah. have mercy on the boys of Riverdale. Hi. And that is a great chant. Um, that I'm going to use when I have to do a, go into a stressful situation. I, I absolutely think you're right yeah. on all counts. It's a great mantra. Veronica. I love her yeah. being supportive of Betty. I don't think she's trying to game the process at all. But particularly no. that Cyrano scene where she's listening in on Betty as Betty and Archie try to make a date together and it doesn't work. You uh. can see Camilla Mendes playing with a lot of different emotions there as she listens yeah. to the scene that I thought were very interesting to watch. So I thought that was great. And I also, just that way that was shot was so such a romance yeah, that comics was cool. cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Veronica listening. It was great. Yeah. It was really beautifully made. I also want to give a shout out to Lily Reinhardt and KJ Appa. The way that they're earnestly playing this young romance is so sweet. I There was something about the way that Lily Reinhardt says, hi, Archie, when yeah. she comes into the room that was so cute. It 
really got me. So yeah. very into that. Um, another thing on the opposite end, there's a spectrum I wanted to throw out, and this is continuing the horny Betty conversation we had in previous podcasts, because I still see people getting very upset about that online. I want to push it another direction. Something that I've been struck about this season is... Yes, there's the whole issue of, okay, they're 25, 26, 27-year-olds playing teenagers who are having sex on TV, and what does that mean, et cetera, et cetera. But just in terms of the way they're exploring and talking about this stuff, this to me, this season feels more authentic to the teen experience than any Mm. previous season of Riverdale. A hundred percent. Well, that feels like the focus. Well, like in the past, I think the focus has been moving away from your uh, teen experience into like the darker places. This is the opposite. It's flipping. It's on its end. I I love you talking about the teen experience. That just makes me so. uh, That's just what's up, my fellow teens. Here's what I'm going to throw out to you. I'm going to throw out a very. This really feels like the teen experience, and I know. I know, I've as a cool teen myself. Four times at this point. As a cool teen myself. No, here, <laughs> oh my here's God. okay. This is what this episode immediately made me think of with the whole Betty Archie thing being like, oh, let's just, uh, you know, no big deal. Just look across uh, our our windows at each other, dude. What? What is no big deal? It's fine. We're just taking a look. That's it. Ha ha ha. So I had in high school. What uh, is of, about to happen here? Hold on. This is not a story about me. This is about somebody else. But uh, two of my friends in high school. Somebody else. Who mm. used to date and stopped dating came to a group hang at one point and they came together and both of their hair were like soaking wet. And we were like, why are you guys so wet? What's going on? And they're like, no reason, no reason. And then, of course, that became the entire conversation until they finally told us. And it turned out that after school every day, they were taking showers with each other and then insisted that it was like, oh, it's just like to get clean after school. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. And we're like, what are you talking about? I take a lot of platonic showers. (laughs) Exactly. And nobody believed them. But this sort of thing, I mean, That was not the only experience like that. That was just the first thing that came to mind because I think like that is the sort of thing you do in a team where you're like, it's fine. It's no big deal. We're just taking showers together after school. We're not interested in each other sexually, right? We're just seeing our nude bodies as water flows down it. Well, it's sort of like I – let me just say it's a testament to our friendship and how long we've been doing this that I have heard that story before and it's great. (laughs) Uh, I think it's like I want to do this. I I don't know why. I the first and second time I've heard that. I don't know I why tell I want to you this. once a week. Once a week, I call up Pete. I'm like, have I told you this story about my showering friends? Yeah. No one my buys each other friends, friends, by the way. Yeah. Stop saying friends. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I think this this show is capturing that really well, especially as it progresses and we get um, the the final scene, the, the great Barchi moment. Where, like, I like how Archie comes down. He's like, I saw you watching me. He's not upset or anything, but it's sort of like, you know, and they just work out their version of a date, which is, like, compared to, like, a sort of, like, very, like, sit in a movie theater and watch. This was so much more sexually charged (laughs) and intense and purse and revealing and risky and all these things. And I thought it was really well done. I the, The tension was great. Well, this well played out. And then from the build up, like you said, Pete, where they're getting to midnight, they're not in the window, they're like hiding from the window, and then they both step out. And the fact that they both get busted at the same time <laughs> by these dudes who are like, hey, what's happening? They were downstairs, and one of them looked up and then, you know, went over to the other one. Hey, 
Yeah, Hal, yeah. Hal and Frank were at the windows right below them, just like glowering at each other, and then doing one of the same thing. They were probably like, doing yeah. the same thing uh, to each other. Uh, yeah. Up, up, go up, quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and you know this. The bedroom windows were the original internet. You know, that's yeah. the original browser window. And I used to go to my window every night and go. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Just hope it would start showing pictures. Yep. So yeah. it was, uh, we've lost that in our modern age. You know? mm-hmm. Wow, very mm-hmm. profound. What <laughs> other notes from the episode would you like to call out, if anything? Uh, there's some fun, like, 50s lines in here that was uh, the ah, knuckle sandwich say. line that Tony threatened was really great. I love uh, that line. I mean, I loved uh, Peeping Patties. Uh, we got Riverdale Bandstand, which I think we're going to get in an upcoming episode, right? Yeah, it looks like based on pictures that Hal and Alice host uh, Riverdale Bandstand, this um, so after fun. school thing that everybody does. Uh, and also based on the promo, I don't know what happens, but Betty comes up and is like, you think that's how to twist and turn? I'll show you how to twist and turn. And then everybody starts screaming. So my theory is both of her legs break off. Oh, that's oh, break on, off. Don't just throw <laughs> that straight off. There. Like no legs. Uh, um, I think we're going to get our next uh, murder at that episode. Hang on, is, I'm still going uh, through uh, no, great lines here. Yeah. Uh, put your uh, put an egg in your shoe and beat it. I mean, hundred percent. That's, that's uh, he's got dope. me on a trip. He's got me on a trip for biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we give a shout out to Dilton and Ben and Jughead? Um, I missed Ethel this episode, but just having them hang out on the steps together. Very yeah. fun trio. I'm enjoying seeing that. Very yeah. fun. Uh, what's the tale, Nightingale? Another. Like, they're really oh, doing yeah. a good job of, uh, of course they are. That's uh, Riverdale's always doing this. And the fact that they're really getting to sink their teeth into, like, weird 50s language is great. Uh, I did like the uh, Pops uh, running Archie a milkshake moment. That was great. The coffee. He was bringing him coffee. Oh, coffee, Which, yeah. as we learned last episode... He needs that shit to keep. <laughs> Otherwise, he goes. Yeah. Otherwise, he's gonna he's gonna flip his lid. Um, oh, I also wanted to give a shout out talking about supporting characters to Midge during when the cheerleading scene when Tony comes in. Just that weird cut to her being, "Hi, Tony." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. It was. It was funny. funny. Yeah. Very weird. Yeah, I like that. All right, there we go. Before we wrap up here, why don't we talk about the MVP of the episode? Justin, let's go to you first. Who was your MVP this episode? Ah, man, what a great app. Uh, I got to give it up to uh, the um, whoever put um, Archie and Betty's houses right next to each other. So mm-hmm. I guess like um, the, the, and the and props department. Yeah, the, you, you, no, props the, to the props, the props to props. The props, architect uh, traditionally houses are very large props, and you don't call them as such. But yeah, oh, I guess okay. we'd go yeah, they'd be more of a set. So uh, I would like just the architect who designed the big bay windows for them to really um, give us the one of the best Barchi scenes and the most uh, romantically and sexually charged Barchi scenes we've seen in the entire series. Yeah, yeah. Right yeah. up there with Origin yeah, of Love. Whatever, whatever. Wow. Pete, what about you? MVP? Still, still not buying it. Uh, Tony. You're crazy, sir. Tony is uh, killing the game. And um, yeah, just uh, great to see her, uh, you know, finally get the kiss that uh, we all uh, knew was coming and wanted to see. So it was, it was well, well, kind of built up and well delivered. 
Just a slight production note. Uh, we had some of our um, our folks in our Riverdale After Dark Slack channel do a deep dive into the podcast when um, in the earlier apps, Alex was like, and I think I'm sensing, sensing a relationship buddy between Betty and Jughead. And Pete was like, no way. That's not that's not going to happen. And then we saw all of the bughead heat and steam Betty all day, every day for so much of the run of the podcast. And now you're fully like, Tony, I don't know, Ben, Betty, I don't know. Nah, <laughs> you've really made well, come full circle. I think the bigger circle. takeaway here, I know this is interrupting the MVP section, is since I was the first one to bring it up, I think I was born and raised on Bughead. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in the Bughead. Yeah, you really uh, adopted it. I'm hoping to uh, get back to my old ways. We'll see what the show uh We certainly will. There's plenty more episodes to go. Out. Yeah, that's right. Uh, MVP, this is hard this episode, uh, but I'm going to throw it out to Cheryl all day. Early yeah, day. Yeah, there Cheryl. There Once go. again, killing it this episode. Just so many different emotions she went through. I've said this a million times, but whatever Madeline Patch cries on the show, we cry watching the, the show. Single tear. Her reactions. Oh, oh, my she's God. She's so good at it. She's the so good. single tear. And Come the on. The amount of different emotions that Cheryl went through when – Tony was about to kiss her, like shoves her oh against the wall God. and about yeah. to kiss her. And she's like, wait, is this happening? Oh, yeah. this yeah. is happening. It was with no words. So good. So good. There you if go. you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Riverdale, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice excuse me, to follow and listen to the show at Riverdale Dark on Twitter, Riverdale After on Instagram, Riverdale After Dark on Facebook, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you after dark. See, the podcast is like a ro- rollerblade in that it just keeps on rolling forward. I'm just a tween. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>